Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We've been uh, talking about the beginning of this series and um, a couple important preliminary kind of thoughts. The Bible is a covenant book, which is significant in helping us appreciate understanding uh, this book. Genesis is a book of beginnings. We talked last week of the core orthodox doctrines of creation summarized in that first verse. I'll read the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so in the context of that uh, unformed matter that God created and brought into existence, he is going to fill, to form and then fill that uh, creation. And so we're going to look at the six days of creation, the seventh day, the Sabbath day briefly, if we get to that point. But we're going to just survey the six days of creation and reflect on what was created on each day and some of the um, uh, issues or some of the aspects of that. I'm um, using Willem Van Gemmeren's outline. I, I pointed this book out to you once before. Um, or when we started, and he was a professor of mine at seminary, and I'm old, so I'm going to tell you a story that's unrelated to this topic at all. But uh, since Luann's here, she'll appreciate it. Uh, Luann's husband, Robert, was planning a Christian education banquet um, 40 years ago, and the the speaker from RTS in Jackson that was supposed to come to speak got sick. And so early in the morning, Robert calls me up and says, we've got to find somebody. So he was our next choice. And uh, we had plane reservations and all that set up and ready to go, and it just wasn't going to work. So then we pulled a PCA minister from Paris named Sonny Kernow. I don't even know if he's still alive, but um, and he drove down and did the banquet for us. But anyway, that's how where his name comes in, connected to Robert. All right, so that's my uh, senior moment story. So get get that out of the way. But he has, I think, a really nice little outline of the six days. The first three days are the formation of creation. It's where God um, builds the the basic framework of creation. And then the second three days is God filling creation. And I think that's a very helpful way to look at it. In all of this, we see God's gracious delight in uh, making creation and remember what he's doing. He's building a kingdom on this earth for man to rule under him, under God. And um, he's um, forming all this together. He's creating this world and he's creating a habitable environment for uh, for man. And remember my imaginary little chart. Uh, day one is light. Day two is uh, the sea and the sky. Day three is the fertile earth. And then coming paralleling, day four is the sun and moon and stars who govern the light. Uh, day six is uh, Day five, excuse me, are the creatures that fill the sea and the sky, which he created on day two. And then on day 
uh, six are the creatures of the land <clears throat> which fill what he created on day three, the fertile earth. So we have the formation of creation. Let's begin with day one. So the, your outline is very simple from this point on. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's, you can do that, I think, can't you? <laughs> Make your outline very close. So day one, Genesis 1, 3 through 5. And God, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So with the matter that God had brought into being, uh, he then creates the first day. And um, the, what he, uh, there, when we think about the, the days of creation and think about the repetition of certain phrases and certain words, uh, there are certain repeated phrases through these days. Uh, there is the phrase, and God said, and then there was. So that's repeated on each of these days. God speaks, and th- that which he is creating comes to be. And you, you hear also the phrase over and over, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, second day, etc. So these phrases help give us a framework on which we see God working on each of these days of creation. <clears throat> and, uh, and then another thing that we see uh, that's repeated throughout here is uh, the phrase, and God said. I mentioned that already, but the implication of that and the significance of that is all things come by the power of God's word. He speaks and it happens and it reveals the divine power of God in creation at every stage along the way. And it's the power of his, his word. Now I want to take you to a couple other passages to, um, Reflect on that. The first is in Psalm 33, uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. And th- this psalm is about the, the love of the Lord, but he picks it up in Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by, their, the, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So we have uh, the focus being on the divine, powerful word of almighty God. And if we go into the New Testament to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith uh, understands that the word of God created 
all things. And then one more passage, 2 Peter 3, verse 5. He's talking about people who are denying that the Lord is going to come again. And he says in verse 5, they... For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by, by the word of God. And it's helpful for us to appreciate this truth that God said and it happened because it helps us to appreciate God's power at work in our own lives. When when we need something, when God needs to do something for us, he just speaks and it happens. And there it is. The divine power of God is something on which we can depend and we can appreciate and we can understand. And I think it's significant on this day, day one, and God said, let there be light. Uh, Even if this is a poetic description of God creating Uh, and not the exact form or steps in which God created, I think it's significant that this phrase comes first. Uh, The sun wasn't created, the moon wasn't created, the stars weren't created, but light is created. And I think what's significant about that is the revelation that the source of light aren't the heavenly bodies that God created, the source of light is God himself. Without him, there is no light. And you will remember John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or withstood it. The light shines. It's, it's the source and origin is from God. God is the creator of that light. Now, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Um, and I'll just read these two for you. Um, in Isaiah chapter 60, we're told as we think about not only our present world, but the new creation, the world to come. Uh, Isaiah is anticipating this. <clears throat> And he says, the sun shall no more, uh, no more light your day for the brightness shall the moon nor, nor for the brightness of the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. God will be the light. Um, in uh, Revelation, it tells us that the city, the new Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And what I think is so significant about just grabbing that truth is the recognition that it's God that brings light into our lives. We don't need any external source. It's God, through his word, through himself, it's God that brings light into our lives and into our world. And so when it says in the beginning, when it says, and God said, let there be light, it's underscoring the reality that 
God is the source of light. And he will later <coughs> create the sun and the moon to govern the day and the night and to help regulate the order that he's creating. But they, they're not the source of the light. God's the source of the light. He creates the sun burning all of this, these chemicals <coughs> to, to burn bright and hot but God's the source of the light. And then as part of this first day, and we'll be in the other days as well, uh, he says, uh, the, the, um, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Uh, last week we reflected on the fact that God created time. He's timeless, but he created time because we needed the order. We needed that regular regulation of our lives. We need uh, the, the, the night and the day, the cycle of sleep and awake hours. That we, we physically need that. And God created that as part of his world, that regular uh, uh, working out of that time, uh, the daily time that we need. And it's God's uh, delight and compassion to provide for you a habitable world in which you can live <clears throat> and successfully navigate. And so we have day one, very simply, God creating light in the time of day and night. So then day two in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters and God made, uh, made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So God separates the waters uh, from the air and the atmosphere and the waters above, or perhaps the waters in the clouds, or as some people think, there was when the earth was created, a canopy of water circling the globe, which gave it the world kind of a, a, a hothouse sort of character. And that's a reasonable conjecture. Uh, but there's waters above, there's waters below, there's the sky. And uh, above all of that is the universe that extends beyond that. And when we look at the sky in our own day, <clears throat> It's, um, we're taken by the immensity of it, the grandeur of it, especially living in Texas and uh, parts of the, the Midwest where there's the plains. It seems like the sky can go on forever. If you've ever lived in the city and you're kind of confined within the buildings and the smog, you think, where is the sky? But the sky can go on forever and on a, on a cloudless night. You can look up and see the stars. And especially if, you're, if you've ever been somewhere where you're a little out of the city and the ambient light of the city doesn't interfere, that you can really see an amazing amount of the stars and the constellations. It's a beautiful thing. And it's awe-inspiring. And that's part of what God is, is going in the process of creating. Here he just creates the atmosphere and the water as part of this habitable environment for man. 
So then we come to day three. So here God's still in the formation part. Day three, beginning at verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So he takes the, the surface of the earth and divides the water from the earth and creates land and creates the oceans uh, and has that uh, be a formation there for, um, <clears throat> for us to, as, as a preparation for the animals and man that he's going to put in there. Uh, so he's creating this habitable world in which he's going to fill with creatures, and it's all to his glory and honor. And um, there's all kinds of good discussion, interesting discussions about was it one land mass only, and then in the course of the flood that was split up. Very interesting things. We don't have to come to conclusions on all of that. But um, God is preparing this world in which Uh, his highest creation man, but all of his other creatures can live and dwell and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and, and, uh, in a, in a wonderful way. It just shows the minute detail that God took. Here is God, the Lord, uh, the exalted one, but he's very finely working on this, the smallest detail to provide for those creatures he will make. So then we begin the filling of creation. So he's formed it. He's given light and day and night. He's given the sky and the seas. He's given land and um, split dividing that from the seas. And he's putting fruit, trees, and other kinds of vegetation fruitfully filling the earth on the land. So he's got this wonderful environment And now he's going to begin to put things in it. So in day number four, in verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night (coughs) and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So here we have the sun and the moon and all the constellations that were created not to be objects of worship, but to help govern the regular uh, cycle of day and night, the regular cycle of seasons, um, 
In Texas, we kind of have two seasons, hot and cool. Uh, If some of you have lived in other parts of the country and you actually have seasons, there's a summer and a fall. Uh, I think San Diego is probably just all nice all year round. It's one, it's one season, but at any rate, um, God's creating all the, creating the stars and the sun and the moon to govern all the, our world and, and uh, to be a wonderful habitable place for us to govern those things. The cycles of times, the rhythms of nature are all part of what God has planned for those that he will put in it. And so day five then is, is um, still filling it beginning at verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So we have the sea and the air animals in the wonderful diversity that God has created and let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He gives us these creatures to live in this world that he has made wonderful for our enjoyment and they enjoy the creation that God prepared for them and God delights in creating these. We know he watches every sparrow that falls to the earth. He watches over the most minute parts of his creation and some of the largest parts of his creation. I want to come back to that thought in a minute. Uh, So we go to day six and I want to take it in two pieces First, the creation of the land animals in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And, you know, when you when you see the read the description, you see that you think of just the amazing number of of uh, creatures God made the lizards, you know, the 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 lizards that make their their way into your house and you got to kind of shoo them out. And uh, certainly the insects that were around then, probably not roaches, they must be part of the curse. Yeah. (laughs) But at any rate, he created all this multiple. The, the multifaceted number of creatures that were such an enjoyable thing. With the, we marvel at the lion and his strength, and the, the the horse and its speed and spirit, the the deer for its grace and its running. There's so much of creation we uh, delight in, and God did all that for us. Uh, he put all these things in our in creation for us to enjoy. And so I, I, I want to come back to this thought. I've, I've mentioned the large animals. I think it's appropriate. I, anyway, I, I, my opinion, I think this is the time when God created the dinosaurs. I think they were a part of his original creation. 
Now, there's many who would disagree with that and put the many, many millions of years earlier. <clears throat> but um, I saw pictures. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Glen Rose, Texas. There's a state park there where you can see you can see dinosaur footprints in the riverbed. It's a fascinating place. Very interesting to go to. We went there as a family. But years before that, I had seen pictures taken of the Paluxy Riverbed in Glen Rose, Texas. And this picture showed that in the same fossil strata were the footprints of man and the footprints of a dinosaur. And now, of course, those are not of course, but that now those are all covered over with silt because the footprints that you see, if you were to go over there and look now, you might not see them in six months. The river flowing covers it with dirt. <clears throat> but there's, there's pictures of that. And uh, it would be confirmation that at least at some point in time, man and some dinosaurs, maybe not all of them, but some dinosaurs lived together. And I remember looking at that picture and the person standing next to me looking at it said, the only question I have is, who is chasing who? Was the man chasing the dinosaur or was the dinosaur chasing man? Who who knows? But there's no reason for us not to think that it's possible that God and man created man and the the uh, the dinosaurs in the same place. Certainly, he created large beasts at the same time as he uh, prepared to create man. And so we come to the pinnacle of creation, which is the creation of man, and, and we'll pick that up at verse twenty six. It says, "Then God said." Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So here we have uh, God taking counsel within himself to make man. It's not an absolute clear definition of the Trinity, but it's a reflection of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, determined together to make man in our image. Well, what does that mean? What is the image of God in man? There are hundreds and hundreds of pages written on this in different books. But the image is not physical uh, because as we ask the children... um, 
What is God? And they answer, God is a spirit and has not a body like men. God does not have a physical body. He's a spiritual being. He describes himself in physical ways to help us in our understanding. He talked, we, the Bible talks about the hand of God or the chariot of God uh, or different aspects of his character in physical form. But those are what we call anthropomorphisms. They are descriptions of man, descriptions of God like man, but he doesn't have a body. So it's not a physical image, but it's an image nonetheless, uh, like uh, mental, spiritual, uh, holiness. <clears throat> we have our definition of God in the shorter catechism. Um, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So obviously we're not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, but we're like him in being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Those attributes of God are part of, can be, and are part of our character. So that's part of what it means to be in the image of God. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 where we have a reflection on this. Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, 22. We'll start at 22. Where Paul is saying, Uh, You need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the image of God, which we lost or was defaced in the fall, uh, has to do with our righteousness, our holiness, our wisdom, uh, following God, uh, those characteristics of us that uh, that are part of our being the image of God in this world. And he created us in his image so we would rule for him on this earth and govern it for God uh, as his... um, Vice regents, God is the king, we're sort of the vice kings in this earth, we're to rule the earth for for God and govern it. And the fact that we are created in the image of God gives great worth and value uh, to human life. It gives great worth and value to your life. Uh, Unfortunately, because of depression, because of certain other uh, mental struggles, people begin to think, well, I'm not worth being here. Just know that that's a lie. It's always a lie. The thought that comes through into people's heads sometimes, well, people would be better off without me. No, that's a total lie. It's a complete and abject lie. Turn to Genesis 9 verse 6 
This is following the flood. God is giving some governing thoughts to Noah and his sons. So in 9 verse 6, and um, says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Um, I should back up a little bit. Let's pick it up in verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Because we're made in God's image. Our lives are incredibly valued. And um, the progress of sin defaces that image, but it nevertheless is still, we're still in the image of God. That's why we need to treat people with great care. Uh, We need to not misuse them or abuse them. We care for them because they are creatures in the image of God. Maybe they're not living in the way they should, but we still need to care for them. And treat them in an honorable way uh, because of the value that they have. Men have sinned against that practice for uh, ever since. But nevertheless, that's God's call on us. We're in the image of God and we are extremely valuable to the Lord. And Adam and Eve lost the purity of that image. It became a defaced image. It became like a statue that has all, is marred by all kinds of debris. And it's going to take the second Adam to come and to restore that image uh, in God's likeness uh, um, in, the, in this world and, in, and for the world to come. And it's as the spirit works in our hearts that enables us to live According to that image, as Paul is saying, get rid of the old man who is in the image of this world and put on the new man uh, created to be like Christ Jesus and to bear the image of God in this world. Um, I'm going to just take one more minute to say the the seventh day is the Sabbath. We won't really get into it very far at this point. But in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. He rested not because he was tired, but because he had completed his work. And so when it says he rested, it means he ceased. Now, you and I need rest, physical rest. God didn't need physical rest. Uh, He wasn't tired, but he, he created this day for our good because we need a day. Uh, to step aside from our labor and to focus on him. He gives us the day to worship him and to renew ourselves. 
And so in the whole discussion of the Sabbath in the days to come, we have to remember that it's a creation ordinance. The Sabbath wasn't given first in the Ten Commandments. It was given in the Ten Commandments, both in in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. But the Sabbath was given here at the beginning in creation. After God had created all the things in this world that he wanted to create, he created the the Sabbath day by resting it and he made it holy. He sanctified it. And it was God's wisdom that did that for us. Uh, And he wanted to demonstrate that there was this going to be this special day, this special time when the kingdom of righteousness could be reflected on in a particular way. Well, there's much more to think about on that, but we'll quit. So all of these, this creation of the six days and and its myriad beauty uh, demonstrates God's delight and his minute care for you, that he created things in the very most particular way so that you could enjoy them, uh, so that they could be a benefit to you and that you would rule over and have be the stewards of this world that God wants you and I to be. And so let us worship God, our creator. <clears throat> Next time we will reflect particularly on the covenant relationship God established with Adam and Eve in the garden as Genesis 2 focuses again on man's creation in a particular way. And we will reflect on that, the covenant of creation with Adam and Eve. Uh, So let's uh, bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the the glory of your name, the glory that you are the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for the the richness of this creation and the wonder of it and how you so carefully and minutely put it together in just the perfect way that you created us in your image to desire us to be your servants and your stewards in this world to govern and and care for that which you've put here. Help us, O Lord, to live in that way in the days ahead and be good stewards of the time and resources that you give us in the coming week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.